Sometimes the most memorable stories we carry with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. And sometimes after our time in the service, we're lucky enough to find careers not too dissimilar to that with missions and with common cause for us to rally around. When we're lucky like that, we can continue to share stories of our shared history and experience and support one another through a bond that goes beyond the workplace. Jones Lang LaSalle and JLL's VetNet Business Resource Group brings you the Midwatch podcast in an effort to tell those stories and share that experience and build connections across generations of veterans at JLL and our broader community. And now the host, of the Midwatch podcast, Dan Ettinger. Hey everybody, guess what time it is? It is time yet again for another episode of Jones Lang LaSalle's premier entertainment experience, The Midwatch, our veteran-centric podcast where we talk to military veterans working with Jones Lang LaSalle I am beyond excited. I am Twitter-pated. I am just on the edge of my seat for this week's episode because I'm going to be talking to Jason Cassano, the guy whose team I work on. And I've been getting ready. I've been getting emotionally prepared for this interview for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. So, uh, Uh Jason, (laughs) Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. I've I've listened to I think every episode. I've, I'm, I'm I think I'm behind by two, but I've really enjoyed hearing everybody's <laughs> stories. In fact, I, I feel like there's a, a bunch of pressure here because uh, there's, there's some hard acts to follow there. I hope I measure up. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so what I'll do is I'll I'll be like after everyone your answers, I'll just be silent. <laughs> Let the pressure build. I won't okay. laugh or anything. Yeah, that that'll help. That'll sure help. <laughs> So, well, truly fantastic having you on the show, and uh, and and thank you for the kind words about the show. It's been it's been a really really interesting experience on this side of the mic, uh, and I've mentioned it the last couple of shows about how how much it stands out to me that and this isn't the case with you and I because we've talked a fair amount because we work together, but how you know a veteran can can appear on the show and we have this completely natural conversation because of the connection we share from service. And so hopefully you're hearing that come through in the show. Yeah. And I, I think you're right because I often have, I often say things in team meetings with my group of people and we have some veterans on the team, but as you know, mm-hmm. most of them are not. And I'll say something and I'm, and then I wonder, does that make <laughs> any sense? <laughs> because is, is that something that only military people understand? Or is that an acronym yeah. or is that a, a way of life? And, and so I often have to remind myself that it's not uh, some of these, some people don't understand. They don't have these backgrounds and, I think if, yeah. if other people are listening to these uh, podcasts, which I hope they are, I think they really will learn a lot about uh, what it means to be in the military and what, you know, what somebody who has done that comes away with. I agree. And it, it's funny because uh, speaking of pressure on you, uh, your team has asked for you to make this appearance. <laughs> so so there's going to be some people listening. 
<laughs> well, I guess that's good. I'm, I'm you know, these are stories. I, I do have a couple of stories that I tell, and maybe some of them have heard some of them already. So hopefully, they don't get bored. <laughs> yep. Well, you can dress them up for us. It's gonna be great. Let's. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's get started by first hearing about kind of you where where you're at in the world geographically, where you sit what you do, your, a little bit about your family, uh, your hobbies, and those kind of things. Tell us about yourself right now before we get into talking about your military service. Sure. I live in Bethesda, Maryland uh, with my wife and three kids. I've got a, it goes girl, boy, girl, eight, 12, and 16. So they keep me awfully busy. In fact, my hobbies for the past <laughs> 10 or so years revolve around them from coaching baseball and soccer teams and driving them around town to all of their activities. You know, and, and the funny thing that happens is my friends these days are my kids' friends' parents. <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> those are the people that I see. see the most. And yeah, and I've actually, it's, it's worked out great because, you know, my kids have, have friends that they enjoy hanging out with, and then I enjoy yeah. hanging out with their parents. In fact, we all went on a, on a vacation, a COVID <laughs> vacation to Virginia Beach a couple of weeks ago. We rented this giant house and and yeah. I was jealous because I was thinking, man, when I was when I was 12 years old, if I could have gone on a vacation with eight of or six of my best buddies, that would have been mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah, uh, and truly. so it really worked out because the other families had kids my younger daughter's age and my older daughter's age, and I think everybody, including the the adults, had a really great time. We all uh, quarantined beforehand, yeah, yeah. and so it was all we all we did it right. But uh, it was it was a great experience, and I I think. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky that I have made such great friends with my kids' parents' friends. <laughs> or, <laughs> and that's, me, so, my, my kids' friends' parents. <laughs> well, and so these, the, the folks who went with you to Virginia Beach, those were all kids-centric relationships, people you've met that way? Is that right? Yeah. In fact, a, a bunch of, the, I coach my son's soccer team. It's a competitive mm -hmm. team. And most of the, the families are from that group. I see. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're just my, my son's best friends. And it uh, just so happened that we've clicked with some of those parents and, you know, we, we enjoy hanging out. So it works out great. It's awesome. What, uh, and, and so you said hobbies are driving kids around. Is there anything else <laughs> that, you, that you fit in there that's a, that's a you activity? Oh, God. Um, I, I, uh, I don't. <laughs> It maybe it's sad a little bit, but I don't do a whole lot of things for, for just me right now. And you know that I'm I'm knee deep yeah. in a home renovation project that I'm doing myself. Yep. Um, I'm I'm I have a brick house that I'm scraping the paint off of and going <laughs> to repaint it. So that uh, that's been a story I've brought up quite a few times. But so I, but I do enjoy that. I I do enjoy working on my house and doing the maintenance. Um, mm. But you know I I really I really have enjoyed coaching a couple of my kids' teams. So, you know, that, that's, it's all good. I enjoy watching them and participating in that fun. So that, I think that's a great hobby for me. Yeah, I had, to, I had aspirations of coaching my son who was playing kind of competitive soccer. But the only thing I was good for was just uh, yelling in a positive way you know, doing the, the, the football coach yell kind of a thing from the sideline. Because yep, yep. <laughs> I, I never played soccer. Do you, do you play, did you play sports as a kid? I, I played soccer as a little kid, but I never, you know, I was yeah. never any good. That's the, I guess that's the funny thing about being, me being a coach. You know, if you can't do, then teach. Well, <laughs> I'm fitting the mold right there. I've, I've watched a whole lot of training courses and gone to the, the yeah. coaches' certification classes, but uh, I'm, I'm no soccer player for sure. So, 
But, you know, it, for me, it's just a matter of getting the kids out, running around, yeah. trying to get yeah. them to play and work together. And so, Yeah, be, doing the team thing is pretty cool. So before we shift into here, kind of uh, how you got into the military and all that, you know, this question's coming. I'm emotionally yeah, yep. prepared. I'm sitting down. Is there something that you can share with us that we would never guess about you yeah. that you will not get in trouble for at work and your team will not <laughs> give you too hard of a time about? Uh, Go ahead. Well, so so I know the show. So I've been I've been thinking about this. I actually <laughs> asked my wife to help me with this and she did. She had some great ideas. And the funny thing is that my daughter, who's eight years old, uh, she just recently had to be on a Zoom with her class and explain mm-hmm. the unique things about her. And so we sat down to go through and, and she was saying all these, these things. I love soccer. I love to jump on yeah. the trampoline. I love to swim. And I was like, babe, those are great, but they're, you know, they're not unique. Like what? And then I was like, what the heck is unique about me that, that nobody knows? Oh, yeah. And so anyway, oh, yeah. I, I, did, I did come up with, uh, with two that I think are, are interesting. I don't know. Um, the first is that that I I tend to sleep with my eyes open. <laughs> I did not yeah. expect so, that. Well, so it's not it's not like wide open. But um, my wife at one time she said to me, "You know, you sleep with your eyes open." And I was like, "What are you talking about? Who sleeps with their eyes open? That's not true." And and it didn't really click for me until I'd been having all this trouble with my eyes for years. It seemed like I just always felt tired or dry eye or whatever and uh an eye doctor finally said to me did anybody ever tell you you sleep with your eyes open and i said my wife did what the heck are you talking about so he did this test <laughs> he put the dye on my eyes and turned the lights on and then he showed me a picture and he said your eyes are all irritated in this like this shape and it was the shape of my eyes halfway open I'm like, What's so anyway now i have these drops and sometimes i i like to wear a mask to keep my eyes closed and it, even still, it didn't, it didn't click for me until one day <laughs> my wife pointed at my daughter and she said, look at her. That's what you do. And my oh daughter my was half asleep and her eyes were halfway open. I was like, oh, my God, I get it. Okay. That is so weird. weird. <laughs> oh, and I was going to ask you is, first off, I hope people can heard what you said because I was laughing hysterically. So I apologize. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you if you've had long-term issues with this and you have. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and I didn't know why. I just was like, oh, my God, my eyes are so dry. I'm putting all kinds of crazy, you know, re-wetting drops or whatever in my eyes, and nothing was helping. And it was because my eyes were so dried out and irritated that oh my it was like gosh. raw, I don't know, it's exaggerating, but like raw skin on my eye, I guess. I wonder, I wonder how widespread <laughs> this is. Like, I wonder if like millions of people are dealing with this. This is crazy. Perhaps. Perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> like, you you so could maybe, be leading the, the way. Podcast, yeah, the podcast is going to solve this for so many people, right? <laughs> I'm going to have a telethon. This is crazy. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> did, did you say there's something else that you were going to share? Well, I, and I, so this is another one that, that I, I tell this story quite a bit. So, um, I once fell asleep standing up. <laughs> and so you're familiar with the Midwatch. Well, this yeah. is the Midwatch podcast. Duh. Yeah. So uh, there was one time on, on one of my ships, I was on the bridge in the middle of the ocean. I was the conning officer, so responsible for giving the commands for steering the ship. And it was, you know, pitch black, middle of the night, nothing's happening, you know, like glass sea out there, uh, nothing around for miles. And I was exhausted. I've been up for hours. I don't know, it's yeah. one, two, three o'clock in the morning, whatever. And I kind of wedged myself between the, 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 uh, <laughs> The magnetic compass and the true north Polaris, 
just these are just for people who don't know what I'm talking about. These are just two big pieces of equipment up on the bridge to help you navigate. And I just was standing there because my legs were so tired. I was kind of leaning, trying to take some pressure off my legs. And the next thing I knew, I woke up. And I don't know how long I was asleep, but maybe it was just a second or two, but I was I, I was standing up sleeping. And I don't know. I think that I, that's just always been kind of a story that I that I tell that yep. it happened and I fell asleep standing up. Did you check the you didn't check the logs to see how long you were out? <laughs> no, I guess I could. Yeah, that's true. I could have asked. I could have asked the, the navigator. When was the last command I gave? <laughs> It is, but it's so true on the on the bridge, and this is the same on a submarine. There are these weird nooks and crannies you can just jam yourself into. Like if you're doing battle stations or anything like that, you can just jam yourself in there and sleep. It's fantastic. It's the best right, sleep ever. Right. Well, you're not supposed to sleep when you're driving the ship, but uh, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> do not do that. I'm there were other that. people around making you know, lookouts and things, so nothing really would have happened. <laughs> Don't tell the captain. Don't tell the captain. Really. Um, all right. So while I recover, if you could, if you could please tell us a, a maybe two or three or four minutes here about where you were at when you entered the Navy, what got you there, what made you think about that, and kind of a synopsis of your career before we shift over into a couple of stories. Sure. Sure. Well, so my father was a Marine in Vietnam. And so from an early age, I, I had his perspective in mind about the military and what it, you know, how good it was and well, how bad it was too for him. But <laughs> um, so when I was in high school, I went to college fairs and collected information. And one of the things I did was fill out questionnaires for several, several of the uh, ROTC options. But I grew up, I grew up in New York on Long Island, right near the water, loving boats and swimming. And I was a lifeguard and what, whatnot. So I, I kind of, it really wasn't much of a decision. I gravitated towards the Navy quickly. Uh, so I applied and I got an ABROTC scholarship and I got into a school where I could study architecture, which was what I really, really, really wanted to do. Oh. And, you know, that was a great school, highly ranked. And so I felt like the decision was made for me. I got to go to the school I dreamed about and I could do that because I got this ROTC scholarship. So yeah. anyway, um, as I as I got close to graduation, I applied to the Civil Engineering Corps because I thought, well, the CBs would be a great way to use my architecture degree. But unfortunately, they only took four people from ROTC programs nationwide that year, and I wasn't one of them. So I thought, uh, well, maybe the Supply Corps would be a good option for me because I could also get some business business experience. And lo and behold, they accepted me, and so I became a supply officer. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I served two shipboard tours dispersing and sales officer on a destroyer out of San Diego. And I was the supply officer on an amphibious landing ship out of Norfolk. I also, um, I had several sea, uh, shore tours. I did a stint at uh, Naval Sea Systems Command supporting the Naval Shipyard Material Division. Mm -hmm. uh, the Navy sent me to get my MBA then, another great, incredible opportunity yes. that uh, I, I was shocked to get and honored. Uh, I did an individual augmentee stint in Iraq which was uh, mm. interesting. And um, <laughs> I finished my active duty career in Pearl Harbor. I was working for uh, Pacific Fleet, dispersing in the comptroller's office, dispersing the supplemental budget to organ um, you know, organizations, commands that were supporting the war on terror. Mm. Um, the after that, I, I, I did the reserves for a few years until the, <laughs> the 
reserve requirements of a, a weekend a month and two weeks a year kind of kind of took their toll too much on on a soccer practice and, and baseball <laughs> games and all. And I transferred to the individual ready reserve. And somehow, I don't know how it works, but I retired from the individual ready reserve a few years ago. So I am uh, a retired. I retired as a reservist. So uh, when I turn 65, I'll get to get those benefits. Yeah. So I'll check them they, out. Uh, club. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I can't. To be honest with you, I can't believe they let me retire from the IRR, but uh, hey, it can be done. So that's, of course that's I don't crazy. have you know I don't get full retirement benefits, but I did collect right. a lot of points because I had 13 years active and some reserve time and correspondence courses and things. So I think it's going to be you know it's a it's a great annuity to have in the future to fall back on. It's not going to be you know it's not going to be enough to live on, but I sure yeah. hope that I it, it'll just be gravy. Yeah, sounds like a, mor- a mortgage payment, right? The um, oh yeah, the uh, so my. One thing that jumped to mind, can you remember anything that got you interested in architecture? And have you done anything more with that now that you're yeah. past your military service? Well, I, I loved to draw. Uh, mm-hmm. I took a, um, you know, a graphic engineer, what is it, uh, dra- a drafting course in high school that I really liked. And for as long as I can remember, I'd like to draw and I like to build things. And I loved when my dad was was working on projects like building a deck or a retaining wall or you know, some, some project around the house. I, I, even from when I was a little kid, I love helping with that. So I was always drawn to, to construction and buildings and cities. And I really, you know, I really thought I wanted to be an architect. Um, Then 13 years of active duty, there's a bit of a, you know, you're sitting at 13 years, you've got a pretty good salary as a, as an 04. And there was no way I was going to draw windows for a few thousand dollars a year in an architect's office. <laughs> um, I had two kids by that point, and so that was really just not an option. Uh, so I have not done anything with architecture, but um, I did get back to real estate. I work at JLL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. And do you do you draw still? Do you do any kind of drawing at all? A little bit, a little bit. I did. Um, you know, I, I mentioned my house. I did download the SketchUp, the Google SketchUp app, and I. I yeah. created my house in SketchUp and uh, worked on a couple of things that I'd love to do in terms of alterations to the house. But, you know, I'm not, no, I don't do a whole lot of drawing anymore, <laughs> unfortunately. How about um, when, when did the family happen in your military career? When did, when did they come along? Um, my first child, she was born when I was in grad school mm-hmm. in uh, Evanston, Illinois. Then the second was born when I was in Pearl Harbor, and the third was born after I was after I left active duty service here in Bethesda. Interesting. So a, a chunk of time where you were uh, full on Navy family, and uh, and your sounds like your oldest got a taste of the the Navy brat life, right? <laughs> yeah, she was she was um, so young that she really wasn't yeah. impacted by one of our moves. I was seven moves, I think, in my career, yeah. and so she she really experienced. Uh, three or four of them, but you know, she was so young that it, it didn't really impact her. And that was one of the reasons that I, when I thought about getting out, I was like, I, I don't really, I know people do it, but I didn't really want yeah. to move my kids around it. I wanted to try to give them a stable place. Cause I had that when I was growing up, I was really happy that I had my, I lived in the same town for my entire year, my entire life until I went off to college. In fact, my, my parents and my sisters still live in or around the same town. I'm the only one that, that really left. Yeah, yeah, same here. Grew up in the same town, K through twelve, same school. Right. right. So, uh, well, thank you for sharing that. 
And, uh, and as you well know, being an avid listener of the show, the next part of this is really the meat and potatoes. And that's where the audience likes to hear the things that have stayed with you from your military service, uh, the things that mean the most to you. And when it's time for grandkids and when your, your kids are all grown and 20 years down the road or whatever, when they ask you about your military service, it's the thing that'll come to mind. And it sounds like you have a, a couple of things chambered for us here to, to share. Is that right? Sure. <laughs> I have a story that I've told a few times. It's, in hindsight, it's funny. And it's just one <laughs> of those things that happens when you're in the military and dealing with young people and emotions and the challenges of serving. So I it. Uh, I was the command duty officer one on my ship. Uh, and it was the night before we were getting underway for a six-month deployment. I had actually volunteered because I was the supply officer and pretty much had to be on board anyway because we were receiving all, all the stores, the food, pair parts and all. So I was there so that the, the married people, I was single so that at that time. So mm-hmm. I volunteered and, you know, it was, it was, anyway, it was, it's a prestigious thing. I think to be the command duty officer, you're basically acting for the captain in his or her absence. And so things are going pretty well. Uh, but in the morning I was summoned to the quarter deck for a phone call. Uh, and it was a car dealership calling because the salesman had heard we were getting underway and okay. that day we were getting underway that day. And so it's early in the morning. It's like six in the morning. So weird that he's calling that early. Right. But, and so he, he was calling to tell me that a, one of the young sailors on our ship had bought a car and he was concerned because he hadn't heard from that sailor in weeks and they hadn't gotten a payment and they were wondering what was going to happen. And so he, he would be happy if I could just get him the car back. That's, that's what he told me. Right. So this was not one of the sailors in my department. So I wasn't really responsible for him, but as the command duty officer, I'm responsible for everything that happens on the ship. Yep. So we found this guy about an hour later and, and he, I talked to him and he confirmed that he did buy a car uh, and he did it because his girlfriend was coming into town as like a final farewell of his, he's leaving on deployment for six months. He, he had tried to rent a car, but the rental car places wouldn't rent him a car because he was only 19 years old. So he walked into a dealership and they sold him a car. And I said, well, what are you going to, what are you going to do with this car? We're leaving for six months. He said, well, I was going to park it at the McDonald's on base. I was like, oh my God, that's just not going to work. <laughs> and so, so I grabbed one of my senior sailors, uh, a, a first class petty officer. And I said, take this seaman, let's call him seaman Timmy. Uh, you two go to the dealership with this car and get back here as fast as you can. We're getting underway in a couple of hours. Captain's not aboard yet. Get there and get back here as fast as you can. And Dan, you know that nothing goes as you say. <laughs> so fast forward a few hours and I'm on the bridge of the ship and the captain is screaming at me oh because these two jokers are not back yet. And the cat, we're supposed to be getting underway like within minutes. Yep. And that's a big deal. Like it's a big deal to, to be late for ship's movement oh, for the yeah. captain, but this is deployment. So there's pomp and circumstance, there's family on the pier, there's all kinds of things happening. And the captain does not want to be late. Uh, so he's just laying into me and I'm, I'm standing there like, what do you want me to do? about it? <laughs> I don't say anything like I'm just saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And this is of course before cell phones. So it's not even like mm-hmm. I could call him and it called this petty op- first class, my first class petty option say, where are you guys? When are you going to be here? Yeah. Nothing. So I'm just the, the whole watch, you know, there's like 15 to 20 people at least on the bridge 
waiting to get underway and the captain is just livid and I'm just standing there like, okay, yep, all right. And then some of the watch standers says, there they are, there they are. And there these two guys come, they're walking down the pier and the captain walks over to the one MC, which is the, the public address system and he turns it on topside and he just yells, run! I <laughs> start running down the pier. And, you know, they, they, they run across the brow. The, the crane picks the brow up and takes it away. The, the tugs pull us from the pier, shove us off, and uh, we're outbound for sea. And, you know, so that it's just the story of, of, of uh, you know, the, that's what happens. Like, you're, you're, you're the guy who's in charge, and you yep. didn't have anything to do with what just happened, but somebody's got to get yelled at. And, you know, actually, the, to his credit, the captain apologized to me later that night. And, you know, I, I knew it was just part of the job. So it just goes with the territory. You take on the responsibility. And sometimes you get yelled at for something you had absolutely no control over. But that's just the way it goes. <laughs> and there's there's this whole thing about how you're trying to take care of your people and take care of whatever, you know, you're like, I've got to take care of all this stuff. So you make this decision that, that goes awry, right? Right, right. <laughs> good, good stuff. It sounded sure, like you yeah, had I more. Thought I, yeah, I thought right. I solved the problem. You know, I, <laughs> I, there should have been enough time for these guys to get there and back. I don't know what the hell took them so long, but yeah. anyway. Can't go wrong. There's no way it could go wrong. <laughs> if something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong, right? <laughs> Excellent story. And it sounded like you had another one. Is that true? Um, yeah, it's not, this one's not funny. This one is one that I'm more proud of than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of themes in it that I think are takeaways. And, you know, my, my, I mentioned my father earlier and one of the things he used to always say was can do. And mm -hmm. when I was a kid, he'd always say, can do, you, you know, you can do that. Come on, you can, can do. And this is long before Nike had that, has, you know, just do it <laughs> thing, but it, right. it's similar. And, and so I always try to have a positive attitude. Um, the second thing is you should own your future. Like if, if you think there's something that you could or should be doing, then you know don't wait for somebody to invite you to do it. Step up, step out of your comfort zone and do it. And, and, and along with that, I think that, you know, if you think you should be doing more, then do your boss's job. And, and yeah. you know what? Soon you'll have that job. Yeah. So there's a couple of themes here. So that, that's the intro. And again, this is uh, back on, on my ship. I was a young ensign fairly new and I was assigned to the damage control training team, which Dan, I'm probably, you probably know what that is, right? No, uh, what, in a way. <laughs> maybe the submarines don't do that. Do, do the submarines have DSAT damage control? Uh, every, not exactly formed like that because everybody responds, but, but go ahead. Oh, well, so, so, okay. So when you're on a ship for people who don't know, if something goes wrong, like a fire or flooding, you can't call 911. There's nobody coming. You're out underway in the middle of the ocean. The crew has to fight the fire or fix the problem. And so you have to train the crew. They have to, and then they have to be evaluated to make sure they'd be ready to do the work. And so the damage control training team is the, the group that trains the crew on how to, how to perform in these situations. Now on most ships, uh, so on, it's primarily run by the senior damage controlmen on the ship. They're experienced, they're firefighters, they're, you know, they know how to do this stuff, but they also tend to stick the, restricted line officers and other people on that list, which somehow Supply Corps is a restricted line, although, you know, I did pretty much everything else anyway. But so I ended up on the damage control team with the, the, the other supply officer and the admin officer, the doctor and some other people. And so we're we're trying to help train the crew. And uh, I ended up 
on the, the team person who's responsible for repair locker five, which is a dis- dispatch point for engine room fires. So some, some bad stuff. If you get a fire in the engine room, oil, grease, whatever, it's mm-hmm. bad. Anyway, I, I, you know, I sort of knew what I was doing. I'd been to training. I'd been around for, on the ship for a few months. And, uh, but I was certainly no expert. So before deployment, ships go through workups where they the outside agencies come aboard and they inspect the crew on on how they perform the the mission of the ship and and also how do they deal with damage control are they prepared to to take care of these things and a month before our six month deployment we at we failed the damage control assessment we failed horribly and that's a bad Um, thing right that's a really bad thing right (laughs) so this is something that ship captains get fired for you can't fail you can't fail their, your damage control assessment because you can't get underway. Uh, so we had a month um, and I had seen, you know, lots of these drills and I had some ideas about what, what was wrong. I could see from, from my perspective, things that were, that were not flowing right. That just the training wasn't clicking or it just didn't work out. And so I had this idea. I sat down and I wrote out an idea for a, a simulated fire and I created the drill and the brief and planned to train it. And I grabbed the damage control training team leader the next day and I said, hey, I worked on this and here, why, not, why don't you try this? And he mm-hmm. looked at it and he said, oh, pretty good. Why don't you do it? And I was like, uh, well, no, I, I don't really <laughs> want to do it. I just, I, you know, I, I kind of saw this, these problems and I thought, you know, maybe this would help you. And he, and he said, no, you do it. And I was like, oh, well, ugh, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I was hoping for. <laughs> So anyway, I, I briefed the drill and we ran it and we trained it and it went okay. Uh, and then the, the next thing I know, a couple of days later, I'm in the executive officer's stateroom and he's asking me, where did you come up with that? Yeah. And uh, how about you do another one? And so weeks go by and I'm working on this stuff and we run, we're running training and drills, sometimes two, three drills a day. And then the captain says to me, hey, I want you to be the damage control training team leader. And I'm like, what the hell? This is crazy. How can I'm... I'm the supply officer. I got my own job, and and you know, I I just I just saw that a couple of things were wrong, and I had some ideas, and how the heck did this happen? <laughs> you know? And, yep, yep, yeah. And and but here we are, and and now now it's time for for the reinspection, and uh, so so we get underway, and we're running my drills under my direction, my briefing and debriefing, and meeting with the assessment team, uh, and. We did it, and sure, of course, we had some issues, but we did it. And as we pulled into port after after days underway doing these drills and assessments and things, the captain captain summoned me to the bridge, and we walked to the mast, and he had me hoist a broom up up the mast yeah. as we pulled into port, signifying a clean sweep. We had all drills and all damage control assessments effective, uh, which was a huge thing. And you know, so I I was really proud of that. That. Um, this was way outside of my comfort zone. I, mm-hmm. I honestly didn't really know what I was doing and, and uh, standing up there in front of the entire crew, 350 people and explaining damage control, which I had had you know, a few classes yeah, yeah. on and some training. And, um, but that's not what it was about. It, you know, it was really about stepping up and I can do this. And, you know, it worked out. <laughs> what, what a unique experience uh, as a, you said you were an ensign at the time, so pretty young, right? Like what, twenty? Oh yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I think I'd been on the ship for five or six months. Uh, I, I was I was very wet behind the ears. I was not an experienced sailor at that point. It's just so crazy that 
the thing that jumps out at me, and I'll, I'll be interested to hear if this is the same lesson you take away from that, that what the military does is give you this opportunity to make what you are going to make out of it. It is, there's opportunity all around, and it's a culture that encourages you to grab onto stuff. If you're competent and effective and you're brave and you can grab onto something and run it to ground, it's yours and you get to own it, right? It's interesting. Definitely, definitely. I think in the military, I think, you know, everywhere, I think that that's true in JLL too. Yeah, yeah. If anybody, anybody on my team, if they say, hey, I want to do this, I'm going to say, yeah, do it. Uh, yeah, take it. That's where I wanted, that's where I wanted to bring it around is so, and maybe we'll talk about it here in a second about what carries over from your service to your career, but exactly that. It is kind of look at the world as opportunities. There's lots of chances to see something as, you know, setbacks and whatnot, but actually most of the time, those are opportunities that you can grab a hold of and fix. That's right. Um, make a problem, make an opportunity. Sure. I had a couple of follow-ups, but only, I'll only jump onto those unless you, if you didn't have anything else uh, to cover. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, the training, training is a, uh, is kind of a, uh, a topic in the military. And of course you and I lived it in the Navy, but it feels like it's many other places kind of on joint staffs. So I've seen the same thing. So isn't it, isn't it unique and important or something like that? How the mil the, and especially in the Navy way of life training is a daily thing. It is something that you're always doing and it's part of a routine. And especially where at first I didn't catch that you were part of the training team, not just part of the DC party, but that is something that we just do. It's a part of our nature and we do all the time. It seems like that's unique in organization as an organization. Any thoughts there? That's true. I, I don't know if it's uh, just one of the captains I had or multiple times, but I think the saying was train the way you fight. Like if you, you're not, you don't, you don't go into anything, even a training exercise thinking, well, this is just training. It doesn't matter because yeah, yeah. someday it might not be just training. It might be the real thing. And you don't know when that's going to happen. And some of the drills, the way we tried to structure some of them uh, was to be a surprise that the crew didn't know. Yeah. And yeah. the damage control training team was standing there saying, okay, don't push that lever. Do everything. Okay. You've, you've done everything yeah. right. And, and you were not actually going to discharge Halon in the engine room <laughs> and, and shut down oxygen. So like to your point though, that, we, we train all the time and you need to train and train and train because you never know when you might really need to pull that handle yeah. and, and, and save the ship. It's like a training is an enterprise activity, right? Something that is a part uh, to build a culture. I don't, even, I don't know if any commercial entity could ever afford the resources that gets poured into the kind of training that builds a culture like that. Uh, something else that um, I wanted to ask you this question because I've been meaning to ask it but I'll ask you the question and ask you a prelude to it. The question I'm wanting to ask is if you have any perspective on what it feels like the morning of when you're pulling out for a six month deployment and mm. uh, you know, just about family and what that means is you're getting underway. But before you answer that, do you have thoughts about what it's like being a Navy spouse through your spouse's eyes? What that was like? Wow. Um, that's, Yes, I do, but not not fully. You know, I, as the person who left, it's I think it's probably easier to leave, right? Because you you get on the ship and you go away, and you have memories, 
But I imagine that it's much harder to be the person who stays home because you, you know, the house is there and your room is there and their chair is there and you sit down for dinner. And I would imagine that the chair is now empty and, and there's nobody sitting there having dinner with you. Uh, yeah. You know, when you leave, you're in a, you're in the ward, you're in a different chair, you're in a different dining room, you're in a different office, whatever. You're not, you don't have as many constant reminders that something's gone. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine it's different. Uh, and I think my, my wife was, uh, was not expecting to be a military spouse. I don't think she was looking for, she was not looking for a military person. And, and so I was yeah. a surprise to her, I think. And, you know, we met and fell in love and, and got married. And, uh, there she was on the pier when I, when I pulled out and there she was on the pier when I pulled in it, it's, it's a weird dynamic it's it's a weird thing to experience uh and i i I honestly don't know what it's really like but i i would bet that it's harder to be the spouse that stays home i can only imagine because i would i basically you know checked out of family mode when i got underway and it was really hard the first couple of days you're busy you've got stuff to do 24 hours a day you know so i i agree i can't imagine what it's like to carry all the load of the family you know, everything with no, no partnership. Of course you build a, you know, military spouses build a network and all that kind of stuff. But still at the end, when it's, when it's nighttime and you're putting the kids to bed, the significant other isn't there. Right. That's right. It's funny. You mentioned, uh, you know, getting underway and being busy. And that's true. Like I, I was so busy on the ship. It's, it's amazing that you could be underway and like busy 18 hours a day. Like you'd think it's a ship you're sailing across the sea. What, the, what could there be to do? Well, you know, there's tons of watch standards. There's, there's a thousand people who need to be fed. There's uh, training, right? There's training. Yeah, there's training, training, training. There's, there's just unbelievable the amount of stuff that we do. And seven days a week, 18 hours a day, maybe not 18 hours every day, but, you know, it's, it is very busy on a ship at sea. And, and yeah. you know, the, the thing that came to mind when you said being busy the other funny thing that, that tends to happen is for the first few weeks, at least on the ships I was on, whoever the person was that ran the closed circuit TV, they tended to play the sappy movies. And yeah. I remember one, at one point the captain saying, stop this crap. Like, why is the family man movie on yet again tonight? Like everybody's sad enough about being away and then you're playing the family man again. <laughs> the, like the movie where he loses his family. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, 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 uh, he makes, I don't know. Anyway, we don't need to get into that, but he makes a wish. Yeah about how wish he had a different life and he gets a different life, which is without his family. And he figures out that he really, anyway, I'm off on the all, all stuff. You don't need to, all stuff you don't need to see in the first week of an underway, right? <laughs> exactly. But for some reason, and you know, when I was at sea, maybe it's better now, but you, you had two channels. There was one movie on one channel and another movie on another channel. And sometimes there was a news feed. Um, yep. But inevitably you turn the TV on and be the family man and some other sappy, sad, story about being away from yep. your family and it's, it's just i don't know it's always weird and not the things that i think uh people really wanted to watch at that time it's horrible <laughs> the, uh, yeah so, you have the same so experience oh yeah i and i was a mess i was an emotional mess the couple of days afterwards much more it felt like much more than everybody else around me right and you know not not terribly different, but a little bit different on a submarine because you literally submerge. So it's like, you know, you go away kind of a thing, but yeah, I was, I would cry. I was a crier. 
So yeah, you get uh, that you get that pain in your chest, kind of and sadness, yeah. and and then you wonder like six months. I'll be back in six months, and yes. how different it could be. And you know these you the you know your spouse or significant other has existed without you for six months with maybe a phone call a week or a couple of letters here and there, and you're worried. And is it is it going to be the same when I get back? Yep. And uh, unfortunately, uh, a previous show got to tell the story of coming home. So you don't get to share that one now. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so just two, two more quick follow-ups, maybe not so quick. And then we'll get to, uh, as we're getting towards the end of the show here, we'll get into kind of what we do, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in our part of the company and all that. But so the two follow-ups, one is, can you, can you give me a minute or two on what your perspective was of getting underway for deployment? And that's going to lead up to my last follow-up question here. So it's the, it's the morning of deployment, family on pier. What is your perspective of how that was? What did you feel like? Um, so I, that happened to me uh, twice. Uh, the first time on my first ship, I was single, but I was leaving a girlfriend behind and she was mm-hmm. waving to me from the pier. Um, <laughs> but I was, so I was sad to be leaving her and, and my apartment in San Diego, which I loved and friends. And <laughs> but I was really excited because we were going to, Hawaii and we yeah. were going, uh, um, we, we were going to, you know, all these great ports and things. And, and so I was really excited. It was a new experience, uh, getting to see the world, something you join the military to do. The second yeah. time it was leaving my wife. And so it was a, even more of a connection. And, and again, like you said, I was sad and, um, but you know, again, I was excited for where we were going. We we're leaving yeah. from the East coast of the United States this, this time. So I was going to get to see Spain and Italy and Greece and, and go through the Suez canal, not the Suez canal, the, uh, oh my God. Uh, brain oh, dead. Uh, well, uh, you're talking about the, uh, Strait of Gibraltar or are you going through down uh, to the, down to the Red the Sea? One, the one to get it's over Suez. to, uh, uh, the, the Middle East. Yeah. Suez. That through Egypt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Through okay. Egypt. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm right. yep. losing my geography. <laughs> as, opposed to the, as opposed to the Panama Canal. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, lots of and then we, I actually got got to go to the Seychelles on that cruise too. So oh that's a tiny God. little island south of India. So places that I never would have gone. Um, and then you know what? The hardest one to do was I was an individual augmentee sent to Iraq. Uh, I got go. called into the admiral's office and he said, you're going to Iraq. And he said, you leave in two weeks. So mm-hmm. I had to go home and tell my wife, I'm leaving for Iraq in two weeks. And yep. that was, that was the heartbreaker because not only, well, now I had uh, my wife and my one and a half year old daughter. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be there for six, seven months. And, and that's like a third of her life at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. doesn't make sense because, of course, she grows up and now she's 16. But at that yeah. point in time, I missed a third of her life, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that that was that was the hardest one was was uh, going to Iraq on such short notice, not prepared for it, not trained for it. <laughs> well, yeah. two weeks yeah, yeah. of training for it. But that was Jackson, a bigger shocker. I did go to Fort Jackson, Jackson for two weeks of. Yeah, so here's a gun. Army training. I, I, yeah, right. Here, here's how. Here's how you storm a building. <laughs> okay, you're going. Are you kidding? <laughs> just checking. Am I actually going to be storming buildings? I'm just checking on that part. <laughs> yeah, right. And so here's your here's your M16. Here's your nine millimeter Beretta. Body and, armor. You know, I, I, yeah, in the army. And, and I remember the trainer. 
he's like, well, if you ever need to use this, you might just want to throw the Beretta at the person because it's probably going to be more accurate than you shooting. And I was like, this is wonderful. <laughs> yep. Excellent. Excellent. So last, last question here. Can you tell me if you can, maybe now you have these kind of conversations, but when, uh, if, if your kids were to ask you, what is the thing that you took away from your military service that you think, you know, you're, that me as your child, if I'm the one asking you this, what, what, what is the thing you want to, would want to pass along to me, or you would want me to learn from your military service? So you're talking to your kids. What is the thing that you would tell them that you wish that they would take away from that? Wow. Um, I guess the experience. You know, I mentioned that there, I went to places that I, I never would have even imagined of going to. <clears throat> and Seychelles, so, right? The Seychelles, right. Who would have thought to go there? Who would have thought that I'd be standing in Saddam Hussein's palace in Baghdad, yep. that I'd sit in yep. his chair in the, in the embassy, which well, was the embassy, but it was his palace. Um, who, who would have had me, you know, in Toulon, France, walking through the streets with my, my buddies on, from the ship? It's just these experiences that I, I never would have had uh, and it, not just personal experiences, but, but the training of how to be in a leadership position, how to manage people, how to, how to deal with various situations. I often wonder like when I, I we have a whole lot of people on our team, you know, and some of them are fresh out of college or a couple of years. And I think, am I giving them enough training? Are they learning enough? Like yeah, yeah. captain, Captain uh, Ingve, he taught me how to, how, you know, how to do this and how to, um, you know, one thing that I've taken away from, from one of the ship captains was he, he said to me one time when I was frustrated, Jason, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to screw up today. And yeah. like, that's just, that was like, wow, you're right. Like nobody wants to screw up, but that I, I had to learn that. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. I learned that through experience. I learned that from having to answer for Seaman Timmy who went off and bought a car and then was like getting back or other instances or just people do things that in hindsight are stupid and you got to help them get out of it. Um, but the experience, you know, just, right. Being in the military gave me so many experiences that I refer to, you know, just even in my own head on a daily mm -hmm. basis of how, Oh, how would I, how did I deal with that? Or how did somebody else I saw deal with that? Or, or how, how can I make sure that I express or teach the people who I work with now, these things that I think are important um, because they're not, they're not having those experiences. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. My first ship, I, I reported aboard and somehow I was responsible for 35 people and everything they did. And I remember talking to some of my friends that I graduated with and they were saying, well, yeah, maybe five or six years from now, I'll have somebody that reports to me. And, <laughs> and granted, it's different that, that I had the, you know, the, the people who cooked the food and, and managed the ship store and ran the post office. Um, that's not exactly the same as somebody who has an undergraduate or maybe even a graduate degree. But still, there are those experiences of, of how do you teach people and, and guide them and give them career advice. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. I learned that through the military and I think it, I, I, I don't know if I would have learned all these things if I hadn't. I hear you. Excellent answer. And so, uh, feels like we've covered a lot of ground there. So we're getting towards <laughs> the end of the show. <laughs> um, the question I have for you is, can you give us an idea 
of what you do now for Jones Lang LaSalle and, um, and the things that you're passionate about in that job and, and kind of cap that off with what are the things that you know, for sure you built when you were in the military that you now get to employ. Mm. Well, I, I, my current job is, uh, supporting housing privatization, enhanced use leasing and utilities privatization, uh, for one of the branches of the military. And so JLL advises this branch. I'm trying not to say the, the client <laughs> there, Dan, but it's kind of hard. <laughs> for, for better or worse. <laughs> so we help, not me particularly, but we help this organization create a lot of these real estate transactions at installations across the country. And now we help we create we help them create these 50-year leases or 25-year leases where a private developer is responsible for the housing of service members at installations and uh, they're responsible for it and we help the excuse me we help the, the client <laughs> oversee that <laughs> I'll get it don't worry I'll get it <laughs> All right. we help the client oversee that process and so we bring the JLL real estate experience and expertise um, that the, the military doesn't typically have mm -hmm. and I think we really do add value I think we we are a unique group of, of uh, consultants I think we provide exceptional service yeah. uh, and I, I find value in the fact that we're helping provide service members with the best possible housing um, that that can that we can there are lots of challenges and many people listening probably heard of recent complaints about housing privatization uh, some of which are very true. There were some problems, but for the most part, I think many of the service members are happy with the housing. I think it is, there is good quality housing out there. Like everything, uh, there are some instances of uh, poor customer service and we need to find those and we need to fix them. And so that's what we help the others do. <laughs> I said it, Dan, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right, I'll get it, I'll beep it, don't worry. What, um, <laughs> did, you, did you ever think in your wildest dreams until you started doing this job, that there was a job like what you're currently doing? No, not at all. <laughs> I had no idea. You said. <laughs> I had no idea such a thing existed. I remember people, some of the people I graduated college with and things saying they were going off to do consulting. And I thought, how the heck could you consult? What the heck do you know? And so it's, it's, it's so what we do is a lot about project management and, doing quantitative analysis and explaining things to people and briefing and creating training and making sure things flow and happen as they should. Uh, we do more than just consulting though. That's the, that's the thing that I've learned the most. I think in, in taking this job, I thought consulting was somebody gives you a problem, you think about it, you write something up, you hand it to them and then you walk away. Well, that's not what we do. We, we find the problems, we help find them, we help create solutions. Yeah. We present those solutions and then we implement them and, and take it through really, to conclusion. Right. That's the, exactly. That's yeah. It's exactly. Tough. It's not just, it's not just consulting the way I initially thought consulting was of, of yeah. tell people what to do and then walk away. It's really following through to the end and, and until it's resolved uh, and not just, and also not just waiting for somebody to bring you a problem. We yep. bring the clients to the problem. We say, well, we really, we noticed this thing. It yeah. doesn't seem right. We need yeah. to do something about it. And here's what we think we should do. And I think that's the reputation we have with this and other clients. And I'm very proud of that because I think 
we as a JLL, as a firm and as our team are, are you know, just I, I feel like we're a step above our competitors. Uh, I'm proud of that. Well, this this follow up's a little self-serving, but play along with me. And you're going to talk about what you're uh, what you're passionate about here in a second in your job. But can you talk a little bit about, about this team? Can you tell us a little bit about this team you manage? I mean, uh, are they are they awesome? Are they eh, kind of so so? What do you think about your team? They are awesome. In full disclosure, I guess you know you already said it, but Dan, you're on my team, and yeah. you, you just joined the team about a year ago for a new role that the client gave us to really perform as government employees, sort of to fill the role that they had this void. And I think the five of you that we've augmented their staff are just blowing it out of the water. But the rest of the team is fantastic. That's who I want to talk really, about. They're incredible. We really. I think we do a terrific job of trying to find really good people who are constantly looking for the best way to do things. They're really trying to think about how, how do we do this quantitative analysis? How do we incorporate the qualitative things? How do we get this to the client and improve the services for the, the service members? We have everybody on the team from recent college graduates to people who have been in real estate and uh, you know with advanced degrees yeah. for many years there's 30 some odd people on the team plus some subcontractors mm -hmm. uh we're we're stationed at the client site in the office and also in the dc office but we've also uh have people located all across the country at various locations really for their own preference yeah. because they've established themselves they've proven that they can do the work and well, we're all remote now, aren't we? So um, <laughs> we really have a great group of people. And I kind of pride myself on usually being the dumbest person in the room because I feel like everybody on the team is so smart and so capable that uh, it's, you know, it's sort of easy to say, hey, we need to do this. And then I've got people lining up to yeah. do it and do it well. Yeah, it's a, it's a privilege having really high performing people on, as a part of a team that you're that you're a part of. And that's what's really struck me is, really high performers, independent, independent thinking and executors that can go do the stuff and take vision to reality. Uh, really impressive team you built. Excellent. Um, yeah. Thank you. I, I don't know that I deserve uh, real credit for that because we, we hire good people and yeah. you know, you hire good people, you get good products. So that's what we should. I hear you. And, and now that may be the thing you're passionate about. Is there anything else you're passionate about? And then just the last really bit of the interview here is tell us if there are some things that you brought from the military to this that you know were things you learned back there. Um, what am I passionate about? Uh, I, I do, you know, I do really like working with the people we have. I've, I've pretty much interviewed or, or I found the resume or interviewed everybody on the team and I'm very happy with, with uh, the performance of everybody, I'm really proud of that. I think it's a great team that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy to work with them every day. Um, in terms of what have I brought from the military, I, I think really, I think giving people the opportunity to do what they think is best uh, and, and prove that their ideas are strong and sound. Uh, I, I always appreciated the opportunity and the flexibility to do what I thought needed to be done. So I try to give people as much space to explore their ideas and implement them. I'm not a micromanager. In fact, I, I hate being micromanaged. So it's, I, and I, the worst thing for me is to be a hypocrite. So I really try not to get in the way as much as possible. 
And um, I mean, that's, I think that's really my biggest takeaway is I like to be given free reign and, yeah. and be, and be empowered to get things done. And so I hope that that's the image that I give to the team. So that was a, a heck of an interview. We covered a lot of ground there. Cool. <laughs> great, great interview. Great job. And, uh, you know, hang, hang tight with us just for a second here. I'm going to close the show and then we can uh, hang up once we get off the air. Uh, I can't thank you enough, Jason, for, uh, for coming on the show. I know your team's going to appreciate really hearing more about what you're about and, uh, and hearing your perspective. It was, it was really gratifying to hear and I know they'll appreciate that. Um, so thank you for being on the show. The, uh, you, so I, I, oh, yeah. I, I appreciate uh, you asking me several times to do this and for giving <laughs> me the flexibility <laughs> when we were in the middle of uh, proposal writing for our contract, you, you, you said I could wave off for a little while, but I'm, I'm really happy to do it. And I've really enjoyed the podcast. I think you're doing a terrific job. It's really great to hear from our colleagues and their stories. And, uh, I, I have really enjoyed it and I, I recommend it for everybody, not just service members or uh, veterans. So. Thank yeah. you for, for doing this. I think it's a huge value. Absolutely. And credit to credit to the quality of people, not only on the team that you lead and then that I'm on, but the quality of the people at Jones Lang LaSalle, the kind of people that we uh, attract. So again, thanks again. And Hey audience, are you kidding me? Another fantastic interview in the books. Um, I laughed, I cried. It was great. <laughs> um, and credit to my boss. It was outstanding. So uh, please pass, <laughs> pass this on to your coworkers and, other JLLers and uh, feel free to reach out if you'd like to make an appearance on the show. Love to have you. Uh, and that's that. Thanks again, Jason. Thank you, Dan. You've been listening to Jones Lang LaSalle's The Midwatch Podcast with Dan Ettinger. Look for us on the web and social media and please share with friends and family. Thanks for your support. Like us wherever you listen to this podcast and stay tuned.